the Best of Times Radio Hour, live on 1017 FM and 710 Keel, a show dedicated to seniors and boomers in Northwest Louisiana. Here's your host, Gary Kaligas. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to our show today. I'm Gary Kaligas, the publisher of The Best of Times, the only magazine and radio show for mature adults in Northwest Louisiana. I do also thank those who might be listening live via the Internet at www.710keel.com. Also thanking those who might be listening via the Keel application on their Apple or Android devices. We do thank AARP Louisiana neighbors, town and country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer for being the exclusive sponsors of this radio show to provide you with beneficial information each and every Saturday morning. In just a few minutes, we're going to learn some information on the new approaches to treating inflammatory and non-inflammatory pain. So stay to this show for some very beneficial information for you and your loved ones. It is Saturday, February the 10th, and our radio show is being broadcast from the studios of News Radio 710 Keel and 101.7 FM, a town square media station here in wonderful Shreveport, Louisiana. However, today's show is not live and has been pre-recorded, so we will be unable to accept calling questions and comments from our loyal radio listeners. Be sure to pick up the January-February issue of the Best of Times at one of our 270 distribution locations. We do thank you for any compliments about our magazine, we do appreciate hearing from you. Remember, if you're unable to find a printed copy at one of our 270 distribution locations, you can always visit our very popular website at www.thebestoftimesnews.com to view, of course, the current, but also the past issues for the past four years on our particular website. In addition, you can listen to previously broadcast shows here on the Best of Times Radio Hour. In addition, you can list, you can view and download the 2023 Silver Pages Senior Resource Directory. Speaking of Silver Pages, the Best of Times is finalizing its 2024 edition of Silver Pages, which will be released on March the 1st. It is our most popular publication used by seniors, boomers, their family members, and so many, many others to find needed services, products, and information. It will be available at our 270 distribution locations, but of course you can also view it and download it from our website beginning on March the 1st. Each month, the Best of Times sends out a TBT newsletter via an e-blast mail to over 73,000 email addresses of seniors and boomers who are residing in Caddo and Bossier parishes. It provides them with additional information about articles, discounts, news, and as well as linking to our online website and viewing the current silver pages. Join the many thousands who are receiving this free newsletter via their email address. The only thing you have to do is go visit our website at www.thebestoftimesnews.com to subscribe free of charge by just entering your email address. We hope that you're going to be enjoying Tuesday Mardi Gras, Ray. Hope that you and your family enjoy the upcoming major parades today, uh, beginning at uh, to, uh, 4 p.m., uh, which is the crew of Gemini, and also then on Saturday, the crew of Highland Parade, beginning at 1 p.m. We'll be right back with more information, but now we're from our sponsors and advertisers who do make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and Ebers, tenant country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer. 
The Best of Times Radio Hour will be right back on 1017 FM and 710 Keen. back to the Best of Times Radio Hour on 1017 FM at 710 Keel. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by AERP Louisiana and Ebert's Tending Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer. I'm Gary Caligas, and I thank you for taking time to listen to our show today. Joining me on my show as a special guest is Dr. Robert Goodman, who is a board-certified rheumatologist with the Arthritis and Rheumatology Clinic located here in the Shreveport area. And I'm asking him to come on our show to give us some information on the new approaches to treating inflammatory and non-inflammatory pain. So thank you, Goodman, for joining us today. Glad to be here, Gary. Thank you, of course, for taking time from your busy practice to educate me as well as my many thousands and thousands of listeners throughout the area. So Glad to do so. So I wanted to comment, you know, in all these medical fields and doctors and scientists each and every day, and I, you've been on my show a few times, I'm amazed that, that uh, there's so many new and improved treatments through medical research, through trial and error, and et cetera, that it's, it's improving the health care of all of us throughout the world. Is that correct? That's correct. We're really building on the science of uh, in the shoulders of uh, uh, researchers and physicians who have been in generations before us. And there's really been an explosion of the knowledge of treating uh, healthcare in general and um, uh, pain diseases, inflammatory diseases, and non-inflammatory pain diseases, uh, which uh, I'm delighted to be able to talk to you about today. You know, and, and one more caveat here. I, I don't know if you've ever watched this movie called The Physician. It, it dates back in the, I think, the early 1400s, maybe like that. It, it, re, it relates of a person that was not classified as a physician, but he had the, he had the, the, the knack of all these uh, quacks you might see in the, in the world and in part of England, et cetera, and Europe that were trying to figure out what, what was causing illnesses and he was he had the you know he wanted to he he knew there was more than what was being done and but the you know I was I want you to come this was interestingly I was not I didn't remember this that it was due to the the, the religions back there didn't want people to examine uh, bodies you know, it was well, like it was. They couldn't cut open. It was against the law. You would be killed. You would be. You would be. So scientific research was totally out. Well, uh, well, that's true. And in some religions, would be judgmental and think that if you were sick, it's because something you did. You were being um, uh, uh, right. harmed by of an evil spirit, or you did something wrong, uh, or your parents did something wrong, uh, and there wasn't the. Uh, the approach of this person is suffering from a, some illness that is outside of their control. Can we help them? Yes. Can we find ways to make their life and the life of others better? Um, uh, and, and I was recalling you know, the first observations that led to vaccines were um, a physician in England noted that uh, uh, women who milked cows would get cowpox and they oh. would develop some um, uh, resistance to getting the more detrimental smallpox. And um, it was out of those kinds of observations and the others over the years, decades, um, and centuries that have allowed us to get to the point today where 
where medical knowledge is exploding exponentially. Well, you know, that's positive. I mean, I just can believe back in those, hate to call it the old days, that they were so put their head in the sand, right? And that that's was, right. That, that's and, and some of it was, let's blame the patient. Um, uh, they had it coming. They did something wrong. Um, and be very judgmental. And, so, and then this show, it shows it could, a lot of things was an easy fix. I mean, could, extremely easy fix, but nobody wanted to do it and wanted to take the risk. Because yeah, and, and it could be, uh, hey, this well has uh, a back, is, has something that is harming and killing people. Let's not use this well. Uh, <laughs> let's not, uh, let's not, uh, uh, let's drain these swamps around Shreveport so that we don't have uh, yellow fever uh, in uh, 1877. And, True. Uh, 18, Seventy-three. Yeah, eighteen seventy-three. So, in the past, uh, the Dr. Goodman's been on my show many times. We've talked about lots of great things that I know that my listeners have been appreciative. I mean, I get lots of feedback, Doc, and I'm sure you do at your office from well. But and uh, so today we're going to dis- you've discussed in the past arthritis and also which means uh, you know the inflammation of joints. So, right? Are we going to talk about? Inflammation today. That's right. Um, In the past, we've talked about inflammation of joints. And inflammation of the joints is classic arthritis. So um, a doctor, before there was ever x-rays, before there were ever lab tests, would observe a patient's joints. And if those joints were warm, red, swollen, and if he moved those joints, they were painful, he would say that that joint is inflamed. Um, years and centuries later, as uh, microscopes were developed, doctors could lung- look under the microscope and see that the tissue that was inflamed had a migration of white blood cells into the tissue. That migration of white blood cells is known as the inflammatory process. Uh, many classic uh, rheumatic diseases are dominated by that inflammatory process. Um, such as rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, lupus, gout, uh, all of those diseases are dominated by that inflammatory process. Um, The initial treatment for those inflammatory diseases was to um, uh, maybe chew willow bark uh, that would have uh, an ingredient in it that was later isolated by the Bayer Company in 1899, and that was Bayer Aspirin. Um, and so that was the first anti-inflammatory. And what that was doing is pushing back on that process, keeping those white blood cells from migrating into that joint. Well, as we've gone into the uh, late 20th and early 21st century, instead of carpet bombing the immune system with a non-steroid anti-inflammatory like aspirin or ibuprofen or a steroid anti-inflammatory that hit all aspects of the immune system, like steroids like prednisone and celestone and cortisone, uh, we have had a more targeted anti-inflammatory approach in targeting a communicating protein of one group of white blood cells to the other that says, inflame this joint. And there might be different inflammatory proteins that might play a big role in, say, rheumatoid arthritis versus lupus versus psoriatic arthritis. Okay, follow-up question. I heard something I'm sure my listeners are saying. Uh, what does he mean by that? Carpet bombing you, by use of aspirin. What, what do you mean by that? So the aspirin, well, aspirin go, would, goes throughout so, your body? So if we think of this um, inflammatory process, it's kind of like 
um, a military plan or uh, where you have chains of command, uh, where you have officers and enlisted men to migrate into certain areas and set up the inflammatory response. Um, If you um, uh, use certain more primitive anti-inflammatory medications that are more uh, spread out that cover all of the immune system, um, you would uh, interfere with the part of the immune system that is uh, causing the disease, and that's a good thing, but you might also interfere with part of the immune system uh, that is helping us fight viruses or bacteria, and that oh. would be a bad thing. So and it so, compromises. You're going so, to be compromising. So you're going to be compromising the immune system. So if you can target that inflammatory response by narrowing your target to just what you think is the the worst bad actors, then you create medicines that are more effective and have fewer side effects. And so that would be like going from steroids that would be a treatment for, say, rheumatoid arthritis or psoriatic arthritis um, in the 1990s or 1980s to more targeted approaches like blocking a communicating protein um, like a TNF blocker uh, or an interleukin-1 or interleukin-6 blocker to help rheumatoid arthritis or an interleukin-17 blocker to help psoriatic arthritis. The term interleukin is between leukocytes. And so a communicating protein between leukocytes might be um, uh, isolated. And, hey, this uh, um, uh, uh, people that have psoriatic arthritis, for example, might have um, a, a large amount of interleukin-23. And so an interleukin-23 blocker might take care of the inflammation of the skin that is psoriasis and the inflammation of the joint that is the psoriatic arthritis, but still not uh, but not result in the patient having uh, an inability to fight the flu or COVID or uh, oh. a strep throat or deal with um, um, a, um, a dental um, a tooth decay or something of that nature. Um, so, so that's the that's the detrimental of taking these shotgun approach or what do you, you call so it? So if you go thing? from so if you go from carpet bombing the immune system with our more primitive uh, anti-inflammatories that hit all actors to targeting the immune system and just targeting a communicating protein between this wayward officer and these enlisted men, and that protein is saying, cause inflammation of the joint that is psoriatic joint disease and also cause a skin rash that is psoriatic skin disease. If you can target that particular target, that communicating protein between leukocytes, then you can be more effective in treating the disease and more effective in limiting side effects. Oh, okay. Interesting, interesting. So going back to inflammation pain, you, you said that it, it mainly shows uh, that in a joint it's red, swollen, and painful. Are there types that don't have that indication that you might have inflammatory yes, pain? Yes, there are. Um, now, there are non-inflammatory pain where they have the pain, but they don't have the redness, the warmth, and the swelling. So Hippocrates described four features of a painful joint, and that painful joint was then translated from Greek into Latin, and those four descriptions were rubor, color, tumor, and dolor. Rubor means red. Mm -hmm. Color uh, comes from uh, the caloric uh, meaning uh, heat, Um, so a, a red and warm joint. 
um, that is swollen would be three of the hallmarks of inflammation. And then if you move that joint, it would be the patient would body language would say, ow, that hurts, or they would withdraw from your movement, and that would be the observation that what you did touching the joint caused the patient to have pain. Um, so that would be the hallmark of an inflamed joint. But there are situations in medicine that do not have that inflammatory problem. That is pain that is not inflammatory. Okay, so explain that to us. Well, um, a, cl- um, a classic example of pain that is not inflammatory is phantom pain. So um, in, uh, you know, in 2003 and 2004, we might have soldiers coming back from Afghanistan or Iraq that stepped on an IED, uh, stepped on a landmine, and lost a limb. And they might have pain where the limb used to be. There's no inflammation in the limb. They're not making it up, but that is an example that is called phantom pain, which is a classic example of pain that is not due to inflammation. Another example of pain that is not due to inflammation is when diabetics have had diabetes for uh, many years or decades. They tend to have a decrease in the blood flow to the capillaries that supply the nerves out in their fingers and out in their toes. And the nerves in the fingers and the toes have a decrease in blood flow. So when the nerves have a decrease in blood flow, doctors would say they have a relative ischemia. And when those nerves have that relative ischemia, they start sending pain messages. And Mm -hmm. that is another example that is not inflammatory pain, but it is ischemic pain or lack of blood flow. And those ischemic pain uh, messages are called diabetic neuropathy. A, ser- a third example is neuropathic pain uh, that is uh, in uh, if somebody had shingles last month and now the chicken, what has happened is the chickenpox virus has literally grown in their nerves and as it does that, it damages the nerve. Well, a month later, six weeks later, the chickenpox virus, the shingles, is gone, but they have pain where the shingles used to be that oh. is called postherpetic neuralgia. So these are those are three examples of non-inflammatory pain. And I want to go, Gary, um, in our next segment, we can talk about that non-inflammatory pain and how we have, um, from being a broad um, uh, interaction with all of the nerves to try to targeting just the nerves that send pain messages, but not the nerves that help us think clearly, not the nerves that help us have our coordination, and uh, so that we uh, aren't impaired in our other ways as we use pain medications. Excellent. Hold that thought. We'll be right back with more information, but now we're with our sponsors and advertisers who do make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by AERP Louisiana and Bears Tending Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer. The Best of Times Radio Hour will be right back on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. back to the Best of Times Radio Hour on 1017 FM at 710 Keel. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by AERP Louisiana and Bears, tenant country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer. Joining me on my radio show today is a very special guest, is Dr. Robert Goodman, who is a board-certified rheumatologist with 
Arthritis Rheumatology Clinic located here in the Shreveport area. He's giving some great information about new approaches to treating inflammatory and non-inflammatory pain. So thank you, Doctor, again for joining us today. Glad to be here, Gary. So we talked a little bit about which you know I I, I never knew about the term non inflammatory pain. That was something a little bit new to me, and I'm sure my listeners out there, but it is, it does exist, right? Well, um, the, and the non-inflammatory pain, the most common form of non-inflammatory pain by physicians might also be called neuropathic pain or pain that centers around nerves and nerve messages, as opposed to pain uh, that uh, centers around the migration of white blood cells, which is inflammatory pain. So um, inflammatory pain is usually um, uh, dealing with white blood cells, their migration, and they're causing inflammation. Non-inflammatory pain is usually dealing with something about the nerves, whether the nerves have been damaged, whether the nerves are getting a message uh, that uh, they're not getting enough blood flow or they have been damaged from a viral illness in the past. Maybe those nerves have been damaged because they're being pinched um, in the low back by a disc um, or by a bone spur. Uh, that would be a pinched nerve cause of, causing the pain. Good point. Um, and, um, and then there are other forms of neuropathic pain where um, I, I see patients occasionally and they have a certain type of pain and then they said, well, I worked for the electric company and I had Whoa. a significant shock and um, it didn't kill me, uh, but I, it caused burns here and here and um, they have damage to their nerves and they don't have inflammation in those nerves, but they have non-inflammatory or neurologic or neuropathic pain that is causing that uh, problem, those symptoms. Okay, one one question, Doc. It may be out of the scope of, of your expertise, but I think it is because I I, I want everybody I have to do a little disclaimer here. I see Dr. Goodman for my health conditions. He's treated me wonderful for many many years. I'm I really appreciate it. And sometimes uh, I forget some of the information he conveys to me. But he's he's wonderful at that. He does. I want to compliment you. You you're one of the few physicians I ever see that has a a uh, a digital bulletin, a digital frame that will help a patient understand what he's talking about. I mean, I'm, I'm impressed well, by that. Well, thank you, Gary. I don't, I don't know what's it called, but uh, um, what is it called? It's, it's just a digital smart board, and, and I encourage patients, and I try to explain their disease process and create a treatment plan, write it on the board, and have them take, and we pull ourselves into the 21st century by right. having them take a cell phone picture, I do. Uh, and even us baby boomers can take a cell phone picture um, of, um, of the treatment plan and um, uh, kind of know, okay, what did the doctor say when I left? Um, and it can be spit out in um, a piece of paper, uh, which is uh, part of all these electronic medical records that have had to be adopted by physicians in the past 10 years, but to take it to a more personal level to actually create that plan and maybe explain some of the things that is causing uh, their symptoms uh, and uh, let them take cell phone pictures. And if they have a family member out on the West Coast or a family member out on the East Coast, they can text it to them contemporaneously with our visit. And I've occasionally had, um, you know, sent that 
uh, and they send it to their uh, daughter who um, is uh, a professor uh, of or medicine do- on, yes. <laughs> uh, on the East Coast or on the West Coast, a surgeon. And, um, and, and we're finishing up the visit, and three minutes later, their cell phone calls up, and, and the, <laughs> that um, uh, family member, uh, I say, put them on speakerphone, and I'll be glad to answer their questions. And we're able to, to really kind of round out um, uh, the visit so that they really know exactly what's going on. Well, again, I compliment you on that, and I will t- I will probably attest being myself, the follow-up and the compliance with the patient is probably 100% better than it would without any kind of verbal, visual, et cetera. No doubt about it. If you, if you can explain to the patient what you're doing and why you're doing it and what you know and what you might not know, what we know and what we don't know, um, and then you and the patient form a team, a better team, to go forward in time and say, let's try this approach, but if this doesn't work, we'll look for this problem or this problem to be solved at such and such a time. I'll see you back then. And if if we're not making progress, then we'll change treatment. Okay, one more follow-up question. I just thought about inflammatory conditions. Isn't there, I think I've, I've you've, prescribed it for me or asked the blood then there are certain a blood tests that determine inflammatory conditions of your body yes there are several blood tests that uh, determine uh, inflammatory conditions in a more broad way and in a more precise way there are blood tests that might measure how many um, uh, units of interleukin 6 or interleukin 23 or interleukin 17 is floating around in somebody's system and they might even do biopsies and do stains of that. But that is more research. Really? Um, but there's a more common blood test um, that uh, measure the overall inflammation. And two of the blood tests, one of them is called the sed rate or sedimentation rate that's been out for 100 years. Uh, and then, Really? Um, it's been around that long? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's well, a very easy test. Um, it is a very primitive test. Literally, you uh, put a person's blood in a column, uh, um, a pipette tube that is eight um, inches, about uh, 200 millimeters long, which is about eight inches long. And then you set a kitchen timer, mm-hmm. and an hour later, you see how much the blood has settled, and you would call mm-hmm. that a sed rate. And so, an erythrocyte or red blood cell sedimentation rate is one of our oldest um, inflammatory markers. Um, uh, very primitive, uh, but it um, is readily available all over the world. Another one um, that is a bit more sophisticated is called the C-reactive protein. But those two are looking at all aspects of inflammation. Um, then there are more precise uh, inflammatory markers that might suggest rheumatoid arthritis or might suggest lupus or might suggest uh, gout or uh, that might suggest uh, some more uh, uh, specific diseases like there may be complements, which are a, a protein that is uh, going to be pushed down or be very low in the lupus patient. And there might be other uh, tests that might be more active in uh, some less common diseases like polymyalgia rheumatica and um, giant cell arteritis. These are all inflammatory diseases. But we do now have more precise measures of getting to that non-inflammatory group. Okay. So that educated me a little bit because I know I have had some of these tests done on me. But I, I, if I recall, you know, some of my own family physician 
never did it until I think I contacted you and you said, we're going to do it. And then he, he ended up doing it also many months later to confirm what was, yeah. what was found. And, and, and then there's also tests that are more not in rheumatology. A lot of our tests are close, but not perfect. We don't have perfect lab tests yet. Uh, in rheumatology, and so um, in in diagnosing lupus, there's a lab test called an ANA, uh, and then diagnosing rheumatoid arthritis, there are two lab tests. One is called the rheumatoid factor, and the newer one is called the cyclic citrullinated peptide test, and those are trying to discern, does this patient have rheumatoid arthritis? Does this ha- patient have lupus? And these are looking at the inflammatory process, that chain of command to see if we can see some clues, some hints, some nuance to say this person's um, inflammatory process fits a pattern of rheumatoid arthritis or psoriatic arthritis, lupus, gout, some of these other diseases like vasculitis and so forth. And that's what rheumatologists predominantly do. But there are often patients who all of these inflammatory markers are normal. Their sed rates are normal. Their C-reactive proteins are normal. Um, their lab tests for lupus, rheumatoid, gout is normal, but they have pain. Do you just say, hey, I'm, <laughs> I, I got nothing for you? Or do you try to delve in and help their pain? And um, these are some of these uh, patients that uh, I've described earlier. Right. So give us some examples. We're, we're continuing examples of non-inflammatory pain. I think you talked about that compared to inflammatory pain. Let's so um, non-inflammatory pain, uh, the classic example would be, the most common example would be diabetic nerve pain. Okay. And that's a metabolic problem that is uh, damaging the nerve. The nerve then sends out a pain message that says, hey, I'm not inflamed down here, mm-hmm. but I'm not getting enough blood flow in your big toe. And it, it and that nerve pain can be a tingling, a numbness, like a vibratory pain or like insects crossing, crawling across that nerve. Um, it's not that the nerve has no message that it's sitting through. Uh, that would be an anesthesia, but it has the wrong message that it is sending through, and that is called a paresthesia. So diabetic neuropathy can cause, in early stages of diabetes, a paresthesia, and that is a form of neuropathic pain. It is not an inflammatory form of pain. Um, uh, The pain after shingles is a similar neuropathic pain, not an inflammatory pain. The phantom pain that I've described Mm -hmm. earlier is a form of neuropathic pain, not inflammatory pain. And, um, uh, And then there's a condition called fibromyalgia that is not an inflammatory pain, it is a form of neuropathic pain. Um, a, a noted professor who uh, studies lupus very closely, her name is Michelle Petrie. She's the head of the lupus um, uh, uh, clinic at Johns Hopkins Medical School, and she's considered by everyone one of the leading researchers in lupus, would say lupus has a great component that is inflammatory. But she says more and over and over again, of our lupus patients also have fibromyalgia. So we have to treat the inflammatory pain of lupus, and we might be using steroids and hydroxychloroquine and a medicine called Benlista or Safnola that are very precise for the inflammatory component of lupus. But she always brings us back to earth and says, you got to focus on these patients because about 
three out of 10 of them are also going to have fibromyalgia and they're going to say, I'm not better doc. <laughs> and, and you've got to open your mind and, and uh, focus on the non-inflammatory pain. In this case, it fits the pattern of fibromyalgia. So diabetic neuropathy, poster, paddock neuralgia, phantom pain, diabetic, um, um, lightning strikes, um, uh, toxicity to other nerves and fibromyalgia are all examples of non-inflammatory pain. So how do doctors like you treat pain that's, that's uh, due to infl- not, not due to inflammation and it differs from pain that due to, due to inflammation? Well, in the non-inflammatory pain, um, there hasn't been as much research as the inflammatory pain, but I want to get to some new research just in the past year or, or so. Uh, but traditionally, non-inflammatory pain has been treated by uh, pushing back on the messages through the nerves. Um, a medicine that was approved for seizure disorders 25 years ago wow. called Neurontin was adopted, off-label, by the way, adopted for non-inflammatory pain, and that is called gabapentin. Um, uh, In about 2003, um, uh, Pfizer came out with a medicine for non-inflammatory pain, and they were targeting diabetic neuropathy and the pain after shingles called post-herpetic neuralgia. They used a cousin of Neurontin, also known as gabapentin, and the uh, generic name of that cousin is called pregabalin, um, and the pregabalin uh, was sold under the name of Lyrica. So Lyrica was approved for diabetic neuropathy and post-herpetic neuralgia uh, in 2003. It was also adopted for phantom pain in 2003. Oh, in phantom. 2007, it was used uh, for fibromyalgia. A second medicine uh, was uh, also uh, uh, dealing with the messages across synapses, synapses are the gaps between two sets of nerves. And these uh, synaptic messages, um, some of them are mediated by a chemical called norepinephrine. So a norepinephrine inhibitor, uh, um, a medicine that will hold more norepinephrine, um, inhibit the removal of norepinephrine from the gap, can ameliorate the pain. And so that was approved for uh, uh, osteoarthritis and fibromyalgia, that medicine was called Cymbalta. It is now generic, uh, and the generic name is Diloxetine. So uh, Cymbalta, Diloxetine, was borrowed from the antidepressant group. Um, The uh, pregabalin and gabapentin were borrowed from the uh, neuropathic pain group. Okay, so a, a quick question. I'm sure my listeners are out. How did they accidentally find out that those particular d- drugs or treating something else could treat this pain? Well, uh, they would have a patient who's depressed, and they uh, they come in and say, hey, my b- depression is better, and lo and behold, my back pain is better too. Oh, so they, they had other conditions that they, and so they determined that that, hopefully that, particular medication they were on was solving both issues. That's right. That's right. Wow. And was probably lucky that that person had multiple diagnoses and multiple symptoms. Wasn't and, it? and that a doctor was thinking outside the box a little bit. Oh, okay. Those kind of, those kind of, uh, a, a great happening that occurred that the light came on, right? That's right. Yeah. Wow. Well, hold that thought. We'll be right back with more information. But now we're my sponsors and advertisers who do make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by AERP Louisiana and A. Bearston and Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer. 
The Best of Times Radio Hour will be right back on 1017 FM and 710 Key. to the Best of Times Radio Hour on 1017 FM at 710 Keel. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and E-Bears, Town and Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer. I'm Gary Caligas. I do thank you for taking time to listen to our show today. Joining me on my radio show as a special guest is Dr. Robert Goodman, who is a board-certified rheumatologist with Arthritis and Rheumatology Clinic located here in Shreveport. And he's giving us some information about the new approaches to treating inflammatory and non-inflammatory pain. Um, Dr. Dr. Goodman's going to be on this segment, but if you still have questions and you want to discuss conditions with him and about these new treatments, do consider calling his office, 318-424-9240. Again, that's 424-9240. You can visit their website at www.arthdoc.com. Or you can go by and visit their offices located in Shreveport at 740 Jordan, 740 Jordan Street in Shreveport. Again, the phone number is 318-424-9240. So thank you, Doc. Again, this has been quite interesting. Uh, You wanted to bring up an interesting new study from the New England Journal of Medicine that just August 3rd of last year regarding the... Uh, inhibition of a sodium voltage, right? Voltage, sodium voltage, voltage gate, uh, sodium channel. Um, and that affects that, what? And Well, let me tell you a little bit about that. As we send messages through our nervous system, we send um, those messages, uh, processing those messages or electrical waves of sodium uh, uh, waves that are going through our nerves. Those sodium waves go into sodium voltage channels go through sodium voltage channels and then that as that happens that uh, creates what um, neurologists called an action potential and so that means that it sends a message so that I can speak to you and answer your question so that we can uh, uh, ride or uh, lift up a piece of paper or so we can uh, move or drive a car uh, those sodium channels um, there are sodium channels that uh, deal with our motor uh, messages. They then deal with our sensory messages of "ouch, that hurts," which is called a pain message. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, sensory message is also called nociceptive pain. So, a uh, nociceptive message is a classic pain message. There are other sensory messages that are. Where is my hand in space? Am I driving my car? Um, am I uh, turning on the steering wheel as I am pressing on the gas or the brakes? And and that is um, where is my foot in space? Where are my hands in case, space? That is called a proprioceptive message. And then there are different sodium channels in our brain that allow us to think, to allow us to form language um, and send messages to our tongue in our uh, diaphragm so that I can speak to you right now. Um, It's been found that there are several different subsets of these sodium channels. Wow. And sodium uh, (laughs) voltage channel 1.8 seems to be very selective for sending pain messages, but it does not interfere with so if you inhibit that, you would interfere with pain, you would stop pain, but you would not make a person 
and coordinated. You would not uh, make them feel sleepy or medicine head or not or drunk or intoxicated. So um, if you can have so in the past we would have select uh, general carpet bombing of the immune system for the inflammatory um, diseases. But as we've gone in the past 20 or 25 years, instead of hitting the whole immune system, we're targeting just that part of the immune system that causes one person to have rheumatoid arthritis, the next person to have lupus, and the next person to have psoriatic arthritis. Well, wouldn't it be nice to have a blocker of just sodium channels that um, uh, cut back on pain but not block the sodium channels that allow us to uh, be coordinated, allow us to drive a car, allow us to uh, breathe, and um, and maybe uh, have a an alternative to opioids, to have an alternative. Oh, wow. So if you're um, if you're an ear, nose, and throat doctor and you need to give opioids because you just did some sinus surgery, uh, mm-hmm. then maybe in a few years you can uh, uh, use a sodium voltage channel 1.8 inhibitor and just block their pain but not have a risk of addiction. You might have, be able to block their pain but not have to warn them, hey, you can't uh, use heavy equipment, you can't drive to work, you can't fill in the blank. And that is, um, and there was some research that uh, was done uh, last year, August the 3rd, New England Journal of Medicine, where they looked at two groups of people. And um, the researchers looked at people who had bunion repair. And so this was a post-surgical pain. Okay. And and so they're operating on the foot. Mm-hmm. And then after you operate on the foot, you're going to be walking on it. And so it is a quite painful, there's a quite painful post-op um, uh, situation with the uh, foot uh, bunion pain, bunion, with a bunionectomy. Um, and they also you looked at people who were getting an abdominal surgery. Um, and so as you get an abdominal surgery, you're going to have to uh, tighten up your abdominal muscles to go from sitting, laying in bed to sitting up. And that can be a painful situation as well. So those were two types of surgical procedures that uh, researchers said, we feel like we have a pretty good idea of what the pain would be on these types of uh, post-surgical pain. So they used a um, a sodium channel 1.8 inhibitor um, on patients, on hundreds of patients that had bunionectomies and hundreds of patients that had abdominal surgeries and um, compared them to the normal use of opioids. And it was using uh, Norco, a common opioid that is used postoperatively by uh, podiatrists, abdominal surgeons, uh, and so forth in the post-op uh, care um, uh, situation. And they found that these sodium channel um, inhibitors tended to do a better job with wow, fewer great. or no side effects. And wouldn't it be great, Gary, if that was something um, that um, uh, our uh, surgical colleagues could use? And maybe, uh, and this was uh, using it for two weeks in an acute setting, uh, but uh, might this be opening the door for a totally different way to treat pain that is um, uh, moving us beyond what we already have, but especially, especially um, uh, taking down the number of people that need opioids for pain and may get uh, addicted after this uh, exposure to opioids. Because you can't, you, you know, just you see so many celebrities that, uh, yeah, I had back a back operation. I had um, a foot operation. I broke my 
left ankle, and then the post-operative care they were treated with um, had to be treated with opioids, um, and they became addicted. Sure. What if sad. you had a different way to treat that pain? And this is maybe, I hope, uh, the first of a series of articles and a series of approaches that is broadening our pain approach to target just the pain um, messengers, but not target the coordination messengers, not targeting um, the uh, judgment, so, the thinking, the frontal cortex. So what I'm gleaming from this, this is a VX548. Is it is it is it available or is it still in no? It is. It this was what you and I are looking at is a phase two. Uh, study. Uh, um, they are, uh, I just read in the Wall Street Journal, not the New England Journal, the Wall Street Journal that's saying to their investors, this company has sent, submitted their data to the FDA and they hope to have uh, an answer by the FDA this summer. Now, that's maybe optimistic, but this is just opening the door for a new way to treat Remarkable. pain, especially non-inflammatory pain. And, and mentioned to our listener, it's oral. It's not an injection, right? It is an oral medicine, uh, not an injection. Again, lots of uh, hurdles to be uh, jumped over, but just this is opening the door for a, a dramatically different way to help patients. So if it's oral, how does it know to attack or to sustain or inhibit this sodium 1.8? How does it know? Well, in the in the body of the article, it said that it has an affinity. It attaches to the sodium 1.8 channels 131,000 times more likely than attaching to the sodium channels that affect coordination, oh. the sodium channels that affect thinking, the sodium channels that affect Remarkable. other activities. So. It, you know, it seems very promising, but again, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. There's a lot of steps left well, to this go. This is remarkable, remarkable medical science, remarkable medical science again. Well, thank you for joining us today. This is quite exciting. We'll look forward to having you coming back to the um, latter part of this year. Maybe we can announce it is available, right? Uh, that'd be that'd be optimistic, but uh, uh, maybe. <laughs> So, uh, again, thank you again for joining us today. If you have more questions, do call his office, 318-424-9240. Visit their fabulous website at www.arthdoc.com or visit their offices at 740 Jordan Street in Shreveport. Thank you again for, Doctor, for taking time to be on our radio show today. Thank you for listening to the show. Hope you join us next Saturday for another interesting show to benefit you or your loved ones. May God bless you and your family. God bless America. Thank you again for listening to our show. Best wishes to everyone for a happy Mardi Gras celebration. I'm Gary Caligas wishing you and yours the best of times both today and every day. Have a great day.